and welcome to today's reading of the business record for May 20th, 2020. I'm your reader, Laura Gibson. New deadlines proposed for $200 million down, dollar downtown project. City officials mulling next steps. Construction of Des Moines' newest skyscraper, a 40-story tower with luxury apartments and hotel, was scheduled to begin more than six months ago. Instead, Justin Mandelbaum, the developer spearheading the project called The Fifth, has missed numerous deadlines dating back to last October. Without evidence that the project is moving forward, city officials in early April gave Mandelbaum until April 24th to accept proposed changes to a development agreement, said Aaron Olson-Douglas, Des Moines' Economic Development Director. Officials had hoped to gain city council approval of the changes at a May meeting, she said. Olson-Douglas said the city has not received a formal response from Mandelbaum and now must decide what steps to take next, which include giving Mandelbaum notice that he is in default of the original development agreement. If that happens, the city could take control of the parking garage under construction at 5th Avenue and Walnut Street, as well as adjacent property where two other pieces of the project, the high-rise and a five-story commercial building, are planned. Mandelbaum on Tuesday said his team is working on putting finishing touches on architectural renderings and construction documents and that he's been in contact with city manager Scott Sanders about proposed changes to the development agreement. Quote, nobody wants this project to move forward quicker than me, end quote, Mandelbaum said. Redevelopment plans for the southeast corner of 5th and Walnut began moving forward in mid-2015 when the council selected West Des Moines-based Mandelbaum properties as the preferred developer for the city-owned land where a dilapidated parking garage once stood. Mandelbaum gained various city approvals to move forward with the $200 million project that includes an 11-story parking garage, the skyscraper, and a commercial building with a multi-screen movie theater and restaurant. While work is progressing on the parking garage, construction on the tower and commercial building have not begun. Before the early April correspondence sent to Mandelbaum, the city had sent at least four other letters warning of a possible default and seeking settlement to remedy the delays. In a letter dated March 24th to Mandelbaum and his development team, Sanders, the city manager, expressed his ongoing frustration that Mandelbaum was continuing to seek changes to a development agreement that, quote, I cannot support, end quote. Sanders wrote that an amendment to the development agreement was being drafted that would, quote, operate as a negotiated settlement agreement to resolve and remedy the developer's ongoing noncompliance with their obligations under the agreement, end quote. The proposed amendment to the development agreement was sent to Mandelbaum and his team in early April. A copy of the proposed changes to the development agreement was provided the business record. New deadlines include July 1st, gaining city approval for a new conceptual development plan. November 2nd, submission of documents showing that financing is in place for the tower and that construction plans for the project exist. November 30th, Completing construction of the parking garage, January 15, 2021. Finalizing financing and executing a construction contract for the tower, April 1, 2021 or April 1, 2022. Beginning construction of the tower with the completion date within 34 months. The later construction start date is in place if certain conditions are met. November 30, 2021. 
showing that financing is in place for the commercial building. The deadline would be extended by one year if construction has started on the tower, April 1, 2021 or April 1, 2022, beginning construction of the commercial building with a completion date within 24 months. The deadline can be extended by one year if construction has started on the tower. Last fall, Mandelbaum unveiled plans to replace a screen wall on the west facade of the parking garage with 435 colorfully lit windmills that move with the wind. The city's response to the proposed artwork has been tepid at best. Included in the proposed changes to the development agreement is a stipulation that if Mandelbaum is unable to gain city approval for the proposed artwork, the original vertical slate screen wall design, previously approved by the city, will be used. Mandelbaum said he was close to completing architectural renderings and construction documents for the tower. He also said that he had a signed agreement with 21C Museum Hotel, which, quote, has been actively involved in the design of the hotel, end quote. While the outbreak of the novel coronavirus hasn't affected the ability to complete the renderings or construction documents, quote, the lending market is shut down because of the crisis, Mandelbaum said. If you are a lender, would you want to lend on a hotel right now, or do you want to wait and see how things play out? That's where we are, end quote. Mandelbaum said he was working direct diligently to complete everything possible so when markets stabilized, quote, we'll be ready to go, end quote. Added Mandelbaum, quote, I'm confident that when the markets reopen, the project will move forward, end quote. Project Update Argonne Apartment Building Background and Update one of the most interesting finds by workers doing demolition work at the Argonne apartment building was trusses made of 1x6 lumber pieces that were laminated together, said Jackie Nicholas, vice president of the development services at Benchmark Real Estate Group in West Des Moines. Quote, Our architect and general contractor said they had never seen anything like it before, Nicholas said. It was really cool find, and hopefully it's something that one of our future tenants in that space will appreciate. End quote. Joe Cordaro, principal of Benchmark Real Estate and president of Jacor LLC, bought the Argonne in 2013 for $870,000. The structure, built in 1915, includes a four-story brick building and a one-story annex. The building is undergoing a historical renovation that, when completed, will include 45 apartment units, either one-bedroom or studio-sized. Most will rent for less than $900 a month, Cordaro has said. Quote, we're optimistic that we're at a price point and location where we'll be able to lease up the residential units, end quote, Nicholas said. Much of the ground level will be commercial space. However, two bays along 18th Street will be converted into six apartment units. Crews have been doing demolition work at the building for several months in preparation for restoration work. As plaster and wallboard were torn out, quote, we found there were more structural damage than anticipated, end quote, Nicholas said. The pandemic has not slowed construction work at the building, she said. Apartment units are small, allowing only two to three workers in them at a time. Workers are regularly asked whether they've been exposed to the viral coronavirus. Those who have not are allowed on the job site, she said. Quote, we've overemphasized that if there's any doubt, we keep workers off the site so that we don't have to close it down, end quote, Nicholas said. Construction work is expected to be complete by November, she said. The building, quote, has lived a hard life, Nicholas said. It is really great to go in and shore it up 
and make improvements so that it will last another 100 years, end quote. Public input sought on 2021 to 2025 Transportation Improvement Program ahead of June 9th Commission meeting. Improvements to Interstate Highway 35 in Polk and Story Counties are among the projects included in the Iowa Department of Transportation's Transportation Improvement Program for 2021 through 2025, presented to the Iowa Transportation Commission on Tuesday. According to the program, $3.6 billion is expected to be available for highway, right-of-way, and construction, with just over half of that being invested in rural areas. Cost estimates for many projects were revised because of increases in construction costs in 2019, limiting available funding for new projects added to the program. A few projects were delayed for a year, although no projects were removed from last year's program, according to a news release. The program is based on pre-COVID-19 funding forecasts and could be revised as more is learned about the effects the pandemic will have on state and federal funding. State road funding is expected to drop over the next several months because of deadlines, declines, excuse me, in travel and vehicle sales as a result of COVID-19. The highway section of the program includes significant investments for six-lane improvements on I-35 in Polk and Story Counties. I-74 Mississippi River Bridge replacement in Bettendorf, I-80-380 interchange reconstruction near Iowa City, six-lane improvements on I-80 in Dallas and Johnson counties, I-80 Mississippi River Bridge replacement in Scott County, I-380 slash Tower Terrace interchange construction in Hiawatha, and interstate system reconstruction in Council Bluffs. The program also includes more than $1.1 billion for state-owned bridges. According to the release, the number of deficient bridges in the state highway system has declined from 256 in 2006 to 39 last year as a result of the state's focus on improving bridges. The complete program is posted on the Iowa Department of Transportation's website and available for public comment. The Commission is scheduled to consider approval of the program at its meeting on June 9th. Iowa Farm Bureau Federation awards $180,000 in scholarships. The Iowa Farm Bureau Federation has awarded 1,000 scholarships to 179 emerging young leaders to support their continued agricultural education at their chosen university or college. In addition to the 54 first-time scholarships and 125 renewable scholarships awarded, the Foundation awarded two memorial scholarships of $500 each. Quote, Iowa Farm Bureau takes pride in the strength of our state's agricultural backbone, and we are honored to support our youth across the state who want to continue that strong tradition. End quote, said Ronette Vondrack, IFBF, Community Resources Manager. Quote, Since 1997, we've awarded nearly 1,200 scholarships to help students pursue their education, and we know these students have gone on to become agronomists, livestock nutritionists, seed geneticists, grain merchandisers, and more, end quote. IRS guidance allows mid-year changes on employee health plans, flex spending accounts. The Internal Revenue Service on Tuesday announced that employers have permission to let employees make mid-year changes to their group health insurance coverage and to their flexible spending accounts for health care and dependent care for 2020, 
the San Francisco Chronicle reported. Employer groups have been lobbying the IRS and Congress to allow more flexibility in these plans because the coronavirus has vastly changed people's need for and access to health care and child care. The new guidance includes only some of the changes to the groups recommended. Under the new rules, employers, this year only, can let employees make mid-year changes that would be in effect for the remainder of the year. Regarding flexible spending accounts, normally, employees must decide before the plan year starts how much to set aside. After that, they can't change the amount except for specified life-changing events. This year only, they can make mid-year changes going forward for any reason, if the employer allows. DART announces promotions in leadership team. The Des Moines Regional Transit Authority has named Amanda Wonke as its new chief operating officer as part of a series of promotions announced this week. Wonke has served as the transit agency's chief external affairs officer for the past five years. She will now lead about 200 employees in DART's transportation, maintenance, and customer service departments. Other promotions announced today were Louis Montoya to chief planning officer and Aaron Hockman to chief external affairs officer. Montoya joined DART in 2018 and has led the planning and implementation of two major service changes, as well as DART's first mobility-on-demand pilot. He will now oversee transit planning, scheduling, customer facility planning, strategic planning, and business analytics. Hockman has been with DART for four years after coming from Kemen Industries, where she worked in marketing and communications. As Chief External Affairs Officer, Hockman will lead marketing and communications, business and community partnerships, government relations, and the popular van pool service rideshare. Denim Gremlin Social Merge to launch joint content creation targeted advertising platform for financial services. Des Moines fintech startup Denim is now Denim Social after merging with St. Louis-based fintech Gremlin Social which offers a social media content creation and management platform for financial service firms. As Denim Social, the company is combining Gremlin Social's media content creation and Denim's advertising and marketing automation platform to target regulated financial services companies. Denim Social now serves more than 250 financial service firms, and said Gregory, Gregory Bailey, founder of Denim and president and chief product officer of the new company. Denim Social now has office locations in Des Moines, St. Louis, and Birmingham, Alabama. Denim and Gremlin Social entered serious talks late last year and merged in early 2020 with plans to go live with Denim Social this month. Bailey and Douglas Wilbur, now chief executive officer at Denim Social, had been following each other's companies for two years before discussions started, Bailey said. The company recently raised $4 million in a Series A funding round with Herman Coase of St. Louis, Wilbur said, with the intent to hire new staff members in engineering, sales, marketing, and customer service. Greater Des Moines Partnership, Drake University, partner on DSM Tutor Connection. The Greater Des Moines Partnership and Drake University have partnered to offer a new service called the DSM Tutor Connection to Des Moines students in grades K-12. 
The effort connects families seeking tutoring for their children to Drake students pursuing education degrees. More than 40 students have already signed up for DSM Tutor Connection. Ruan names new Vice President of Operations. Ruan named Jeff Harpole as the company's new Vice President of Operations, leading national retail and grocery accounts for Ruan. Harpole most recently served as Vice President of Transportation for Dollar General, where he managed more than $800 million in transportation. One good read, Dan Gable in a Pandemic, Motivating Others, Making Time for Self. If you gave me five guesses on which famous Iowan said, quote, you have to kick yourself in the butt and figure it out, end quote, about how they're dealing with the pandemic, wrestling legend Dan Gable would have been one of them. Sure enough, that is indeed what he said. Gable said he has done 230 cameos, a site where you can arrange personalized messages from celebrities, in the last two or three months, among many other activities to keep himself busy. Mike Hollis of Cedar Rapids Gazette reports, Casey's hires two new executive officers. Both will be instrumental in Chain's expansion plans, CEO says. Casey's General Stores Incorporated has hired two new executives who will be instrumental in helping the Ankeny-based convenience store chain implement its expansion plans. Darren Rebelez, the company president and CEO, announced, Ina Williams will become Casey's chief operating officer, a position that has been reintroduced at the company, Rebelez said. Steve Bramlage will become Casey's chief financial officer replacing Bill Waljasper, who earlier this year announced his plans to retire. Williams and Bramlage will begin their new positions on June 1st. At a January investor meeting, Rebelez laid out a three-year strategy for growth of the company that includes reinventing the customer experience, expanding and improving the digital realm, and investing in expanding the company through mergers and acquisitions. Accomplishing those goals meant building out our team, Rebellas told the business record today. Adding to the position of chief operating officer, quote, allows us the bandwidth to move a little more quickly on exec- executing a number of the initiatives we outlined in our strategic plan, end quote, he said. Casey's previously had a chief operating office, but the position was not filled when Terry Handley, who had held the position, became president in 2014. Handley was named CEO in 2016. The position of chief operating officer is, quote, a pretty traditional one for a retailer of our size, and I think it's an important position to add at this time, juncture, to accelerate our strategic plan, end quote, said Rebelez, who became Casey's CEO and president in June 2019. Casey's operates more than 2,200 stores in 16 states. However, 2,000 of the stores are in nine states, he said. The goal is to expand in the states with only a few stores, he said. Quote, we have a lot of room to grow, end quote. Plans also call for expanding into new areas where Casey's isn't yet located. For instance, a new distribution center in Joplin, Missouri, will help the company expand into northern Texas, Rebellas said. Williams, who spent about a decade at 7-Eleven, where she was a senior vice president and head of international, will be instrumental in helping them with the expansion, Rebellas said. Quote, she's a career professional in the convenience store space. 
and she's operated at a much larger scale than Casey's, so she'll be able to help us accelerate our growth, end quote, he said. Bramlage comes from Aramark, where he was chief financial officer for the $16 billion Food, Facilities, and Uniform Service Company. Like Casey's, Aramark is publicly traded. Quote, we felt it was important to have someone with comparable experience and credibility with the investment community as Wall Jasper, and Steve certainly brings that. Rebellas said, Bramlage also has experience with mergers and acquisitions. A new team has been put together solely dedicated to mergers and acquisitions that will report to the financial team headed by Bramlage, Rebellas said. Casey's, quote, has never had a team dedicated to doing nothing but acquisitions, and in my experience, that's the most effective way to really accelerate that activity and be proactive in identifying potential acquisition opportunities, end quote, he said. While Jasper will remain with the company as executive advisor to assist with the transition. April home sales remain strong in Des Moines area. Home sales in the greater Des Moines area continue to outpace sales a year ago, new monthly data from the Greater Des Moines Area Association of Realtors shows. In April, 1,169 homes were sold in the Des Moines area, 11% more than the 1,051 sold in March when Iowa shut down thousands of businesses in an effort to slow the spread of the novel coronavirus. The number of homes sold in April outpaced by 17, the number sold a year ago, the association's data show. Quote, April was a solid month considering the major impact of the pandemic. End quote. Lance Hansen, the group's president, said in a prepared statement, real estate agents, quote, quickly adapted their business practices to keep their clients and members of the public safe. End quote. The median price of a home sold in the Des Moines area remained at $215,000, the same as in March, according to the association. The average number of days homes were on the market was slightly less in April, 61, compared with March, which was 68. Low interest rates for mortgages are helping keep buyers in the market, Hansen had previously said. On Wednesday, for instance, the average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage was 3.2%, according to NerdWallet.com. Iowa Credit Union Foundation awards $23,000 in scholarships. The Iowa Credit Union Foundation recently awarded scholarships to eight high school students and four post-high school students. The annual Warren A. Morrow Memorial Scholarship Program, which this year awarded a total of $23,000, is in memory of the late credit union leader Warren Morrow and is open to credit union members pursuing or completing post-secondary education. The awards were based on the best responses to an essay question asking the students to share, quote, how your credit union demonstrates the people helping people philosophy in action end quote, and to share, quote, an experience of when you contributed your time and or talents in the community and what you learned from that experience, end quote. Goodwill of Central Iowa announces store reopenings, some permanent closures. Goodwill of Central Iowa announced the reopening of 10 store locations and the permanent closure of four stores, as well as the closure of the South Des Moines Outlet and Career Connection Center. Beginning today, locations in Ames, Johnston, Indianola, Ottumwa, West Des Moines-Jordan Creek, West Des Moines Valley West Drive, Marshalltown, 
Urbandale, East Des Moines, and Ankeny are reopened with new safety protocols in place. These stores are accepting contact-free donations as well. Due to the impact of COVID-19, the organization is permanently closing its stores in Grinnell, Oskaloosa, Waukee, and South Des Moines. Location openings in Boone and Newton will be announced soon. The organization said in a statement, and operations at the South Des Moines Outlet and Career Connection Center will be relocated to Johnston Headquarters location by mid-year 2021. Strategic America wins international award for four local marketing campaigns. West Des Moines-based marketing firm Strategic America was recently recognized with four Hermes Creative Awards. The international competition draws thousands of entries from around the world each year in a variety of categories. Strategic America was recognized for client work in pro bono and integrated marketing. The agency won a Platinum Award, the highest honor, for the See Yourself Hungry campaign for Food Bank of Iowa. The pro bono campaign used a video and banner ads to show viewers just how close food insecurity can be. The agency also collected top honors for two integrated marketing campaigns. The Money is Real campaign for the Iowa Finance Authority highlighted resources that first-time home buyers can get from the state. The second was for Catch Des Moines, the S's are silent campaign, highlighting the amazing things happening in the greater Des Moines community. Strategic America also received a gold award for its work with Dorothy's House, a home and safe place for survivors of sex trafficking. Reclaim, Renew, Restore was part of a fundraising campaign to help fund a new home for survivors most in need. Iowans can participate in Graduate Together National Broadcast on Saturday. The Iowa Department of Education today announced its participation in a nationwide primetime graduation special honoring the class of 2020. The event, Graduate Together, America Honors the High School Class of 2020, will air at 7 p.m. on Saturday on more than 30 broadcast and cable network and streaming services, including ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, as well as various social media platforms. During the broadcast, viewers will be directed to the Rethink Together online forum, which will feature specific content for each state, including a congratulatory message from Governor Kim Reynolds and Iowa Department of Education Director Ann Lebo and messages from Iowa high school seniors on their hopes for the class of 2020. Quote, we are excited to celebrate the resiliency and strength of our graduating seniors and hope this event gives them something special to remember. End quote, Lebo said. Graduate Together is also inviting seniors, teachers, and families to submit their own stories, videos, and photos online on the Graduate Together website for consideration to be included in the telecast. Kemen wins exclusive approval for immune support product sales in Europe. Kemen Industries announced that the European Food Safety Authority has positively assessed the safety of an immune support ingredient that it manufactures. The positive opinion will allow Kemen to be granted a five-year exclusivity on sales 
of that ingredient, beta via complete in Europe. Kemen developed the algae-sourced beta-glucan ingredient for year-round immune support, manufactured through a patented process using a proprietary strain of algae. It is the first and only ingredient derived from this strain to be issued a positive opinion from EFSA. Quote, we are extremely excited to receive EFSA's positive opinion of our ingredient, Betavia Complete, as Europe is a key market in terms of growth for both Betavia and Kemen Human Nutrition and Health, end quote, said Pedro Vieira, Vice President for Europe and Latin America with Kemen Human Nutrition and Health. Kemen's global headquarters are in Des Moines. Guest Opinion ISU Class Makes History with Gender Equity by Jacqueline Rees Ulmer, Associate Dean and Professor, Ivy College of Business, Iowa State University. Back in August, I walked the halls of the Gurdon Business Building. I had many reasons to smile. The beautiful campus of Iowa State University was abuzz with the energy of students starting a new year. Opportunities, experiences, friendships, and football were all ahead of us. These things always make me smile, but one thing stood out. Half of our incoming class of full-time MBA students were female. There are big reasons for my smile. Only 39% of applicants to full-time, two-year MBA programs in the United States are female, according to the 2019 Application Trends, reported by the Graduate Management Admission Council. Reaching parity has been the goal of my dean, David Spaulding, and of course, all of us at the Ivy College of Business. The MBA is considered the most direct pipeline to the executive level or C-suite of a business. If we don't have gender parity in our MBA programs, it's difficult to reach parity in the boardroom. This directly benefits businesses because better performance is tied to more profitable business but none of this happened by accident. A strategy that was in the works for six years featured several elements. Spalding, his administrative team, faculty, and staff worked to increase the ranking of the full-time MBA. We needed that level of visibility to be attractive to all applicants. The college also aggressively hired amazing female faculty. We went from last in the Big 12 to first in the highest percentage of female faculty in the college. We know that makes a big difference. Our faculty are role models for our students. It's important to have role models with whom students and potential students identify. We also changed our admissions processes. Barriers to applying and being accepted into the program were identified and changed. A new holistic review process was introduced where we look at applicants in terms of not only their potential for academic and professional success, but also what they bring to their classmates, such as experiences and perspective. The MBA program is where viewpoints and decisions must be challenged. We need diversity in experience and perspective to accomplish this. There is momentum with the Ivy MBA program, which is the only full-time MBA program in the state of Iowa. In addition to having gender equity with the incoming class, the part-time program, which has 47% female students, was voted Best MBA Program in Des Moines by readers of the Des Moines Business Record two years running. Clearly, we are making a difference, not only with our students, but in the communities we serve. 
while COVID-19 pandemic required us to pivot by offering all courses online. During the last half of our spring semester, I look forward to the day we return to campus so we can meet in person with our Ivy MBA students. That will make me smile again. Lift Iowa, Women in the News, May 18, 2020. Iowa, Claudia Gabriella Rivera, Assistant Director for Diversity, Inclusion, and Student Success in the University of Iowa's Tippi College of Business Undergraduate Program Office is the recipient of the 2020 Lola Lopez Award for Undergraduate Student Advocacy. Nation, Carolyn Reedy, President and CEO of Simon & Schuster since 2008, died of a heart attack at age 71. Reedy's colleagues credit her with the success of books by authors from Doris Kearns Goodwin to Hillary Clinton. Betty Wright, a powerful soul singer who mentored a new generation of musicians, died last week at her home in Miami. She was 66. James Damore, the former Google engineer who in 2017 wrote a memo arguing that women were innately less suited for technical work than men, quietly ended his lawsuit against the company. He had alleged that Google, which fired him, allowed discrimination against conservative white men. June 12th, LEAP, Diversity and Inclusion in the Workplace. Join the Des Moines Downtown Chamber for this virtual edition of LEAP. This month's event will feature Daniel Hoffman Zinnel, CEO of Proteus Incorporated, who has more than 10 years of nonprofit experience working with migrant and seasonal farm workers the LGBTQ community, the Latina community, and individuals with disabilities. This can be done online from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Guest Opinion, Resilience and Empathy by Tiffany O'Donnell, CEO of Women Lead Change. Like so many of you, our household is obsessed with the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. We knew those guys were good, but wow, so good. It seems only fitting that a discussion on leadership in this COVID-19 season should weave into a sports analogy. And if it can include Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, even better. So here goes. If we could select an MVP word for COVID-19, it would be resilience. It's hard to find a business article, CEO report, or LinkedIn blog without it. And it's a great word. Its meaning has effect far and wide. We know it's a characteristic that defines our greatest leaders. However, you can't have an MVP without a wing woman. Empathy. Think Jordan and Pippin. A transformative leader understands that she can't preach resilience without empathy. The two words together have never been more complementary than in this COVID-19 season. Resilience calls upon the ability to pick oneself up after falling flat in adversity. It requires the individual to focus on the goal and work toward it no matter what obstacles are thrown her way. She, in fact, gets so good at facing them down that she begins to anticipate their arrival. Now that's resilience. But when leaders preach resilience on its own, it can be heard as, buck up. Resilience without empathy can build a wall between a leader and the team. It can tear the fabric of the cohesive, collaborative team created over the years of retreats, conferences, and team-building exercises. The team begins to fear disappointing the leader, 
because they don't have the ability to see things as black and white as the leader does. Mind you, they wish they did, but they just don't. My female leaders, you are poised for this challenge. Research by Women Lead Change and others show that empathy is your strong suit and successful companies run by women value and leverage this trait. Neuroscience backs this up. The female brain is hardwired for empathy. I recall a fearless leader who guided me through a series of professional challenges. As a leader, she knew her success relied on my success. But more than that, she knew what motivated me. I heard her say the words, we are in this together. And then, six little words that launched an awakening. I will not let you fall. She saw me, she heard me, and she, ultimately, provided the empathy that I needed to flex my resilience. Had she simply told me to power through, I imagine the results would have been slower, maybe not as effective. I would describe myself as resilient from that moment on. But I'd be lying if I said it was resilience on its own that got me there. It was the gift of empathy that gave me the ability to be resilient. To my leaders, when you preach resilience, please do so with empathy. The MVP always needs its powerful wing woman. Child care closures could prove catastrophic for women's careers. The new coronavirus pandemic has forced millions of U.S. businesses to close, leaving owners with uncertainty and fear over whether they'll recover or even reopen once the virus has run its course. One industry, often one often critical to the professional success of women, is not exempt in this case. Facing closures and declining enrollment, some 60% of licensed childcare providers have closed during the pandemic, a survey from the Bipartisan Policy Center found last month. At least one in three have reported they may have to close permanently if government aid is not allocated to the industry. When faced with the reality of whether their childcare center will reopen, many parents, and working moms especially, don't know what they'll do should it happen. What's likely to happen, economists predict, is the responsibility of childcare will fall back on mothers. Single mothers will be the worst affected when the country reopens with fewer childcare providers and schools still closed. And couples may have to make tough decisions regarding who stays home with the children. This will also probably be mom, economists predict. Women already bear the brunt of most childcare at home. 13.7 hours compared to men's 7.2, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And women are also more likely to ask for a permanent remote position or quit their jobs altogether. Ankeny's I-35 First Street interchange to close for construction May 27th. Travelers heading north in the metro area may want to consider a different route as the interchange at Interstate 35 and 1st Street in Ankeny is set to close for construction on May 27th. The project will rebuild the interchange into a diverging diamond interchange, according to an Iowa Department of Transportation news release. 1st Street, between Southeast Delaware Avenue and Southeast Creekview Drive, will also be closed during the project. The work is expected to be complete in early November, weather permitting. The project will include removing all existing pavement, grading the roadbed, paving new lanes on East 1st Street, paving new ramps, and installing new signals, streetlights, and signs. 
Travelers wanting to exit at 1st Street in Ankeny will be detoured to Northeast 36th Street, and traffic on East 1st Street wanting to get on I-35 will be detoured to U.S. Highway 69 North Ankeny Boulevard to Northeast 36th Street and then to I-35. Tippy College to Extend Dean Search to the Fall University of Iowa officials have announced they will extend the search for the next dean of the Tippy College of Business to allow for on-campus visits in the fall when it's hoped that the COVID-19 pandemic will have subsided, the Corridor Business Journal reported. Although a search committee had narrowed its list to three finalists, all of whom participated in virtual campus visits, the committee later decided in-person visits would be preferable. Executive Vice President and Provost Monsi Fuentes said that in addition to in-person visits in the fall, she would continue working to attract a diverse pool of candidates, suggesting UI might not be satisfied with its lists of finalists. The people invited in fall, quote, may include the candidates who participated in virtual campus visits this spring, end quote. U of I Assistant Vice President for External Relations Janine Beck told the Daily Iowan. Longtime credit union payments leader Hanish to retire. Co-op Financial Services announced the retirement of Jim Hanish, president of Co-op Network, where he has spent the last 19 years of his career. Hanish was named to his current position in April 2018 and is responsible for the Co-op ATM and Co-op Shared Branch Networks. He will remain in this position until June 2nd. Beyond co-op, Hanish has been a key industry leader, including past chairman of the Electronics Funds Transfer Association and a member of the Federal Reserve Faster Payments Task Force. Following his retirement, oversight of the co-op ATM and co-op shared branch networks and the product lines associated with them will continue to be managed by operations and product leadership teams within co-op financial services. Spokesman Bill Pritchard said, Co-op has two offices in the Des Moines area, which are part of a nationwide company that provides payments and financial technology to credit unions. The company, which processed 7.6 billion payment transactions last year, employs about 1,600 people nationwide. Waterworks Board to Take Another Step in CEO Search The Des Moines Waterworks Board of Trustees is scheduled to meet Tuesday to continue its search for a new CEO and general manager. The board is scheduled to meet virtually at 3.30 p.m. on the virtual meeting platform Zoom. According to the meeting agenda, the board is expected to go into closed session to discuss the qualifications of a potential candidate. After the closed session, the board could take possible action in its search for a new CEO although it wasn't immediately known what that action might be. The board received 122 applications for the CEO position, and the list was eventually narrowed to as many as eight qualified candidates. The board interviewed candidates over two days last week. Ted Corrigan, Chief Operating Officer of the Des Moines Waterworks, has been serving as interim CEO since Bill Stowe died last year. Anyone wanting to attend the meeting can go to Zoom.com and enter meeting ID 834-1839-2972. Zog named managing partner of Ernst & Young's DM office. Professional services firm Ernst & Young LLP announced that Kevin Zog, 
has been named managing partner of its Des Moines office effective April 1st. Zog will succeed Dave Christians with Christians' upcoming retirement. The two will continue to work closely together to ensure a smooth transition, the firm said in a release. Zog is a financial service officer assurance partner with 24 years of audit and advisory experience. The Des Moines office has 108 full-time employees, according to the 2020 Book of Lists. Quote, the Des Moines market is a valuable element of EYUS, and we are confident that Kevin will continue to lead our clients and people to help build a better working world. End quote, says Julie Boland, U.S. Central Region Managing Partner of EYUS. Quote, Dave has a long history with our firm, and while we are sad to see him retire, he has set our firm up superbly for continued success in the future, end quote. Christians, who began his career with EYUS in 1981, has held the Des Moines office managing partner title twice, most recently beginning in 2014. During his EYUS career, Christians held other leadership positions in the Des Moines, Milwaukee, Chicago, and Philadelphia offices and was the lead partner for many complex audit clients. Christians is also an active member on the America's Inclusiveness Steering Group, helping to drive the effectiveness of the firm through enhanced diversity and inclusiveness. Zog has held various leadership roles during his EYUS career, including Central Insurance Assurance Leader, Insurance Audit Operations Leader, and Kansas City Location Leader. He has extensive experience with life and annuity, insurance and property casualty companies, and spent three years at Ernst & Young Accountants, LLP, Netherlands. He is a Des Moines native and graduated from the University of Northern Iowa, where he now serves on the Accounting Advisory Board. This summer, Zog will lead and support the Des Moines office as it relocates to the 31st floor of its current building, 801 Grand. The new space will implement the EY at Work model, which fosters a modern, technologically enabled workplace. DOT seeks public input on statewide transit plan. The Iowa Department of Transportation is seeking public input on its long-range statewide transit plan, Iowa in Motion 2045. The intent of the plan is to manage resources for a statewide public transit system within Iowa's multimodal transportation system. Part of that process is collecting public feedback. The public comment period is open now through July 1st. The development of a long-range plan will also provide input into the development of Iowa in Motion 2050. All feedback will be incorporated into the plan, which will be submitted to the Iowa Transportation Commissions for final consideration. Marshfield named CFO of LifeSpace Communities. LifeSpace Communities has appointed Nicholas Nick Harshfield to the position of Chief Financial Officer effective July 1st. Harshfield, most recently CFO of Wesley Life and Johnston, brings more than 30 years of financial experience to the role, 15 years of which are in the senior living industry. He will be replacing longtime CFO Larry Smith who will retire after more than 17 years with LifeSpace. Harshfield has had held executive leadership positions in four senior living organizations, with a focus on developing and implementing strategic plans, integrating technology, 
and securing financing for critical development projects. Based in West Des Moines, LifeSpace Communities owns and operates 15 continuing care retirement communities in eight states, including Deerfield in Urbandale. Commercial real estate deals, large developments still occurring even during global pandemic. The economic outlook appears grim as retailers like JCPenney and Pier 1 Imports plan to close stores, hotels remain mostly empty, and millions of Americans are unemployed. But bright spots exist, including in central Iowa, where large commercial real estate transactions are being completed and planned new developments are moving forward. Late last week, a $24.5 million transaction involving the sale of three large industrial buildings in Northeast Des Moines was completed. This week, the Ankeny City Council set a public hearing to discuss a development agreement involving the construction of a 350,000 square foot warehouse. The Waukee City Council approved the site plan for a building that will include offices and an event and fitness center, and the West Des Moines City Council gave the green light for site work to begin on a small warehouse project. Quote, even during a pandemic, we're not closed. End quote, said Derek Lord, Ankeny's Economic Development Director. Quote, there are many companies and developers that have not stopped planning for capital expenditure projects because the current economic conditions are not going to last forever. End quote. Central Iowa, located around the intersection of two heavily traveled interstates, likely will continue to attract investments and new developments tied to the industrial warehouse sector, Lord said. Quote, Iowa is in a strategic location, he said. As you see, more and more online shopping, there's going to be more desire to have warehouses in areas that can get products to consumers quickly, end quote. Transaction involving the sale of three warehouses in northeast Des Moines was 10 years in the making, said Marcus Pitts and Justin Lossner, both managing directors at JLL's Des Moines office. The global pandemic, which hit as final details of the deal were being worked on, could have derailed the transaction, but didn't, they say. Quote, what I found to be really interesting is that the tenants are still making major decisions, banks are still making major decisions, and buyers are still making major decisions, which is necessary for a $24.5 million deal like this to come together, end quote, Lossner said. Before the pandemic, the industrial sector nationwide was expected to grow as more and more consumers turned to e-commerce to purchase material goods. Now, with consumers limiting their exposure to the novel coronavirus by avoiding places with large numbers of people, online shopping is growing at an even faster pace. Businesses, too, are wanting supplies delivered quickly to them so they can provide products and services to their customers, Pitt said. COVID-19 caused a disruption in the supply chain, he said. Quote, I think that has helped to accelerate the demand to have supplies closer to customers, and that means there's going to be a lot of demand in the industrial field, end quote, for more warehouse space. The real estate transaction Pitts and Lossner closed last week involved three industrial buildings occupied by Jacobson Co.'s a Des Moines-based third-party logistics group that provides end-to-end supply chain management services. The three buildings were sold to a group of Iowa real estate investors, Pitts and Lossner said. However, they declined to identify the investors and the transaction has not yet been made public to the Polk County Recorder. The buildings sold include 
a 422,212 square foot industrial building at 3811 Dixon Street, which is listed as the headquarters for the Jacobson Company. The building, which sits on 20.5 acres, was constructed in 1970. The property in 2019 was valued at $7 million, according to the Polk County Assessor. 199,180 square foot industrial warehouse building at 3901 Dixon Street. The building was constructed in 1995 and in 2019 was valued at $6.57 million, records show. A 131,160 square foot structure at 1676 Northeast 51st Avenue. The building was constructed in 1965 and is valued at $3.1 million, records show. The buildings have been owned by a California-based investment group. According to the listing on LoopNet, 10 years remained on leases for each building. In Ankeny, the City Council this week set a June 1st public hearing to discuss a development agreement with Ryan Companies U.S. Incorporated, a Minneapolis-based construction company that is proposing to build a 350000 square foot warehouse on 35 acres in the 5800 block of Delaware Avenue. The land, currently owned by Chapman Brothers Farm LC, is directed is directly south of the Toro Company's distribution center at 5500 Southeast Delaware Avenue, which was constructed by Ryan. Lord said Ryan Companies is working with a potential tenant and the proposed for the proposed warehouse. Officials from the Ryan Company did not respond to request for information on the project. Construction is expected to begin yet this year with completion in 2021, Lord said. In West Des Moines this week, the City Council agreed to allow Allied Construction Company to begin site work on ground at 2825 Southeast 1st Street, where a 32,500 square foot warehouse is planned. EMU to pay West Des Moines $1.2 million over 10 years to lease space for physical therapy clinic in new RecPlex. Des Moines University will pay the city of West Des Moines more than $1.2 million over 10 years to lease space at the city's mid-American energy company RecPlex, according to an agreement approved by the city council this week. The city last year sent requests to every West Des Moines physical therapy business for proposals to lease space at the RecPlex, according to information included in the council packet. The only response the city received was from Des Moines University, who is moving its Des Moines campus to West Des Moines adjacent to the 60-acre RecPlex site. The RecPlex is under construction at 6500 Grand Avenue. City officials in November announced West Des Moines' partnership with DMU. On Monday, the council approved an agreement with the Des Moines University, which will lease 4,981 square feet of unfinished raw office space on the first floor of the RecPlex. The university will be responsible for completing the build-out of the area, according to the city document. The space will include a 2,000-square-foot gymnasium designed to support physical therapy services for individuals and groups. It will also include four treatment rooms. The center's focus will be physical therapy, athletic training, and sports performance, according to the city document. DMU also may provide athletic trainers for tournaments and events hosted at the RecPlex. The 10-year agreement includes an initial monthly lease fee of $9,131.83, which will provide West Des Moines 
$109,581.96 during the first year. The lease amount increases 2% annually in the second through fifth years of the lease and 3% annually in each of the five subsequent years. Also Monday, the council learned that $75,000 pledged to the construction of the RecPlex by the Greater Des Moines Convention and Visitors Bureau won't be available this year because of a decline in hotel-motel tax revenue caused by the coronavirus-related state shutdown. The $42 million project is being paid for with money from the public and private sectors. The RecPlex will include two ice hockey rinks, a 90,000-square-foot indoor turf field, four indoor basketball courts with the availability of eight volleyball courts, locker rooms, and meeting space with seating for up to 2,100 people. Also planned are three outdoor soccer fields with space for two additional future fields. West Des Moines will own and operate the facility, construction of which is expected to be completed in the fall. This concludes our reading of the business record for May 20th, 2020. I'm your reader, Laura Gibson. Thanks for listening.